you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 7, I want us to notice verses 14 through 16. Isaiah 7, beginning with verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, and he may know, uh, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil... And choose the good. The land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. We get over to Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse, I believe, 18, and on through the balance of the chapter, we see the writer Matthew making reference back to that prophecy. The prophet Isaiah foretold of the birth and the life of the coming Messiah. He spoke of the man into whom the child would grow. He spoke of the great works that he would do and the things that he would fulfill. We can look in Isaiah 52, uh, verse 13 through Isaiah 53, verse 12, the balance of chapter 53. He wrote so the people would know for what to look. He wrote so that those people to whom he was writing, the Jewish nation would understand when the Messiah came that they would recognize him because of all the wonderful things that he would do, because of all the suffering that he would endure. The New Testament begins with the four gospel accounts. And that's what I've entitled the sermon tonight, the four gospel accounts. There are not four gospels, there are four accounts of the same gospel. The prophets foretold of the man who would come and the writers wrote of the works he performed. Paul reminded the church in Galatia of this. Galatians 1 beginning verse 6, he said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. I think it's very important for us to always understand there is one gospel. There are four recorded accounts of that one gospel from four different perspectives. The Gospels are foundational to Christianity. They are foundational to the teachings, to its existence. They present the person of Christ to the reader, His teachings and His work on earth as He lived in this physical world. They tell us what to believe to be saved. We look uh, into the Gospel accounts and we begin to hear about the kingdom coming. We begin to hear about the Messiah and Christ claiming divinity. And then we move over into the Acts, and the Acts of the Apostles tells us exactly what to do to be saved. And then, of course, the balance of the New Testament tells us what to do to remain saved. I want us to consider the four accounts tonight, just for a few moments, and understand that they are four accounts of the same gospel. Each of the writers reaches out to a different audience. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each write to a different group and each one has a different purpose in that writing. 
Each evangelist portrayed Jesus from a different point of view, from a different relationship that they had with Him personally, and each helps to corroborate the other and to supplement information that maybe one writer chose not to add. Of course, the writers again were inspired. The Holy Spirit chose what they were to write, and from their vocabulary, those words were chosen. But they all have something in common, and it is that very fact that the Holy Spirit inspired all four of the writers while they maintained their individual styles of writing. When we read Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, we see a very different individual writing a very different uh, account of that same gospel from a different perspective with a different style. By means of the Holy Spirit, Jesus had taught them all things and brought all things to their remembrance, John 14, 26. And as one begins to study the gospel accounts, we see the unity and the perfection that each one has between them as they set forth one message of salvation. The gospels are much more than simply a biography. They do entail the life of the greatest person who ever lived, but they're more than just a biography of the life of Christ. They demonstrate His characteristics. We learn a little bit about His personal uh, attitudes towards His friends and His likes and dislikes. And, and they are recordings of the works that He performed as He interacted with people upon this earth, delivering the message of salvation. The books, of course, are not a complete record of His life. We know very little about His life uh, prior to His ministry of about three and a half years. We read about Him going into the temple having uh, following His birth. Then we see Him in the temple as a babe. And then we see Him in the temple as a 12-year-old. And then we do not have interaction with Him again until He is about 33 years old. But they're not a complete work of his life, they primarily deal with man's redemption, his salvation through uh, his life on earth as Emmanuel. Of course, Matthew spoke of that, and that means God with us. Let's compare the four books just for a moment. We have three books that are known as the Synoptic Gospels. There are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're called that because they follow a general outline. They have... Uh, uh, they give a general account of the same things that were going on in series of events in the life of Christ. John doesn't follow such an outline. He recorded his teachings and uh, the miracles that Christ performed to prove that he is and was God. Now, there are both similarities and differences between these gospel accounts and we can see things that they share in common, and we can see things that maybe is peculiar to a particular writer. In fact, Matthew and Luke cover almost half of the same material. And about half of those accounts are peculiar to those individual writers. So they have uh, about half their material common to one another, and then about half of their material is very unique to both Matthew and Mark individually. Uh, uh, Mark has only about 7% of his material that is peculiar to him. He covers a lot of the same things that the others cover. And much of what he recorded, again, we might find a supplemental 
recording of it in the other accounts. While about 90% of John's account is peculiar to him because he followed a different scheme, a different outline. Let's notice to whom they were writing. We have four different writers writing to four different audiences. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector, Matthew 9, verse 9. And he wrote his account primarily to the Jewish people. His purpose was twofold. He wrote an an apologetic proving that Jesus Christ was the King of the Jews, that He was the promised Messiah of Jewish prophecy in whose life the Old Testament was fulfilled. He wanted to make the point that Christ was in fact the king of the Jews and he had a rightful ownership and heir to the very throne of David. And as he did that, he quoted from the Old Testament about 60 times. About 75 times he alluded to Old Testament activities and events that happened. Of course, important to the lives of the Jewish audience to whom he was writing was the Very important fact that the Lord at that time was about to initiate His reign as king over His kingdom. And Matthew called attention to the kingdom more than 35 times in his writing. And he had identified Jesus as that promised son of David nine times in his writing. Second, his book was intended to encourage Jewish Christians They had murdered their own Messiah, but he wanted them to understand there was still hope for them through uh, Abraham because they were the seed of Abraham. And if they would give themselves to Christ, they would have a place in his kingdom, Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Now even though uh, Matthew wrote primarily to the Jews, Uh, He was aware of the Gentiles having an appointed place in God's kingdom. And because of that, as we read his writings, he went about trying to mold the mindset of the Jews so they might one day accept the Gentiles into the, uh, the kingdom. And of course, he declared that the Gentiles have hope in the name of Christ, Matthew 12, 21. Matthew is one of two of the writers who uh, gives us a genealogy of our Lord. His genealogy, of course, is different from Luke's because he traces Jesus from Abraham through Joseph's family. And he does that to show Jesus fulfilled God's covenant with the patriarch and through him all nations would be blessed, Galatians 3.16. Here is the appeal of Matthew. We read it throughout. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We move over and we look at the account that Mark wrote. He was the son of a woman named Mary, Acts 12, verse 12. He was also the cousin of the evangelist Barnabas, Colossians 4, 10. As we look at the life of Mark, as he is mentioned throughout the New Testament epistles, it appears that he also had a very close relationship with the apostle Peter, 1 Peter 5.13 And no doubt, the apostle had influenced his knowledge of things that had happened during the life of Christ. Not to say that he was not inspired, but he was not an eyewitness to the things that Christ did, but he certainly wrote through inspiration. 
Mark is very different from that of Matthew. And the information that he delivered was intended for the non-Jewish audience. In fact, Mark wrote primarily to a, to a Roman audience. Within uh, his account, he explains Hebrew traditions. He talks about the conditions in Palestine so that they would be able to understand. He often used Latin expressions and terms as he explained what those Jewish uh, uh, words and customs meant so that they would be able to identify and comprehend what Mark was speaking about. Of course, that also explains to us why he did not rely upon uh, or was as prolific in, in quoting Old Testament prophecy. He only quoted from the Old Testament 19 times. Uh, and he did not offer a genealogy of Christ. As we notice the account of Mark, what we're going to notice is that he focused primarily on the works of Jesus. Not so much of the parables. He focused on the works more than he did the words. Because the Romans understood the meaning of action, of power, of law, of universal dominion. They understood all of that. And because Mark presented Jesus as the perfect universal servant of God, the man of divine power, a worker. He was one who performed miracles. He was almighty. He had dominion and he had power. He could conquer nature. He could conquer demons, the spirit realm, and he could overcome disease and death. So the, the, the Romans would be able to comprehend and identify with those aspects of Jesus' life. Of course, Mark's appeal was repent ye and believe the gospel. That brings us to Luke. Luke was the solitary Gentile writer of the New Testament. Yet his works, Acts and the biography of Jesus, constitute about 25% of the whole of the New Testament. Mark, or excuse me, Luke wrote to the Grecian world. He gave... Uh, as he wrote to them, he understood what Greece gave to the world. Greece gave to the world the grandest models of beauty, uh, the, that uh, beauty and thought that the unaided mind at that time had ever discovered or come up with. And so he wrote with that in mind. The Greeks also created their gods in the likeness of mankind. And the beloved uh, physician himself was also a Greek scholar. So he wanted to write in such a way that he would be able to identify with them or that they would be able to identify. He was also a scientist. We know that Luke was a, was a physician. He was a doctor. And so he laid out the proof for all of the miraculous events that Jesus performed at that time. He thoroughly investigated those things. He spoke of them. And when he spoke of the, the miracles of which Jesus performed, and 20 of them, he mentioned, six unique to his account, he spoke of them as historic reality, not some kind of myth or fable. Knowing all of that, he presented Jesus as the perfect Son of Man the Savior and the perfecter of all men. See, the, the, the Greek would understand that. They would identify with that. We might say that was right up their alley. Luke is the second person who wrote uh, the gospel account who delivered to us the genealogy. 
His genealogy, again, was different. He followed the lineage through his mother Mary all the way back to Adam, demonstrating Jesus as the universal man with the universal gospel. Jesus can be traced all the way back to to Adam prior to the Jewish history, prior obviously to the Christian history, and simply a universal man for a universal need. The appeal of Luke was that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Then we have the account of John. John was the son of Zebedee. He was the brother of James, Mark 1.19. He, he authored the fourth gospel account. And he did not write to any individual group. He wrote a universal letter to all people. His primary purpose was to prove that Christ was and is God. That He was from God. And that He wanted to inspire within people the faith that He was the only begotten Son of God. Of course, in presenting his case for divine nature, John was very selective in the materials that he used. In fact, as we look at the whole scope of Christ's earthly ministry, it covered a period of time of about three and a half years. Now, John deals with slightly more than 30 days of that. And so, of the 21 chapters containing 722 verses, about 36% of that, or seven chapters containing 257 verses, deal with a single 24-hour period. He's very focused on what he, about what he wrote. His gospel is the gospel of the divine Word, the one who took upon himself flesh and dwelt among men. And his purpose was to prove that Jesus is God and that one ought to give themselves to Him and that He loved His creation enough to offer Himself as a sacrifice so that mankind could live. John appeals to the spiritual needs of humanity uh, by pointing men to Christ, the source of all spiritual blessings, the place where we're only... Uh, salvation can be found in Him, the source of an abundant life, which is available through faith, love, obedience, and proper worship. There's only one gospel, but there are four accounts that point to the beautiful life of Christ Jesus. A life of self-sacrifice, a life of love, and each account addresses unique people with a unique message. And each writer is inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are so many differences in people in the world, but within one of these accounts, someone can identify surely with the person of who Christ is. All four are inspired and all four are necessary to gain a full picture of exactly who Christ was and is. But at the time of the writing, these writers pointed to particular groups of people so all people could be ushered in into the Christian age. There are no contradictions found within these four accounts. There's only corroboration and supplementation between the four uh, accounts as they unfold the events of the life of Christ. We've been given this message so we can have life. 
so we can obtain the life for which Christ died for us. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation, knowing that Christ gave Himself, lived a certain way so that we might be able to uh, live eternally with Him. Of course, we understand, and as I look out over the crowd, I think everyone here has obeyed the gospel. But sometimes we need to understand that we need to repent, confess, make our lives right when we get off track every once in a while, and we do that through prayer. Sometimes that is necessary for the, uh, as a public means of uh, confession, but certainly any time we, we sin against God, we need to go to Him on a personal level every time, and sometimes additionally a public way. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this evening, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.